we have to recognize that energetically we have more capacity and less capacity day by day. Mm -hmm. and it kind of depends on how you are. So it's super important to be able to move forward from where you are that day. Right. And so one of my first pushing outs was I realized I had to figure out a way to get back to work. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner. And I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. On today's show, super excited, as always, and uniquely excited today, too, because I'm interviewing Allison Penna, also known as Bad Widow, and one of my one-on-one -on -one clients. We've been working together for a couple of years. Allison is known as, as I said, uh, Bad Widow, but she's a newer consultant for entrepreneurs reclaiming resilience and resourcefulness after loss or transition. She learned to live fearlessly in the face of death, caring for her husband who died of pancreatic cancer in 2016. Allison has created ways to re-engage, reinvent, and rebuild back to life, work, and even love. Allison, welcome to the show. And I am so excited to really have you share like your entire story because it's fascinating. It's, it's happy. It's sad. I mean, there's grief, there's loss, there's everything here that makes an epic story and your power and what you've been able to transition from to is really life-changing. And I think particularly in this time, this is what you know, you're able to really be the superpower and help other people shift into a better place. So with that intro, welcome and share, you. share your story. Take it away. So I was with my husband just short of 25 years. So a long time. Mm -hmm. We missed our 20th anniversary by three weeks. So close to half my life. He was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2015 and died in my arms at home in 2016, just the two of us. And in the course of those 11 months, what happened, it reminds me very much of this time because what happened is it forced a, a recommitment to what really mattered. Mm -hmm. And it forced a shift in our priorities because we, we talk about what would you do if tomorrow was the last day of your life. And for my husband, one tomorrow that was coming soon was going to be the last day of his life. Right. One tomorrow was going to be the last day of our lives together. And so rather than doing what the doctors told us to do, which was, you know, slow down, do less, just relax. 
we decided to go full tilt boogie and start knocking items off our bucket lists, mm -hmm. changing our environments, changing who we spent time around, recommitting to loving each other. I mean, when you're together 25 years, there's a lot that's about who takes out the trash. That's what I love about your approach too, is that you really chose to live life on your terms and bring Dave's life to a, a closure in a way that worked for you. Yep. And not, not that you, I mean, completely ignored the doctors, obviously, but you didn't take their, I'm just gonna say pessimistic outlook of the slowing down and you know, don't do anything, kind of just ease into sickness and, and death. You were like, let's get the things that we want to that matter done and really and reconnect. And I think particularly after 25 years of marriage, like it is easy to just have it be the trash going out or which way the toilet paper, you know, is over or under or the, tooth, the toothpaste cap, etc. And to be intentional with how you are reconnecting and what really matters creates a whole new relationship. It really does. I mean, it changed the trajectory of how we lived. So on my bucket list was to speak on stages about the work that I do. And it had been on my bucket list 10 years. Mm -hmm. I also wanted to sing in cabaret shows. So in the 11 months while he was losing his hair going from 263 pounds to 146 pounds at 6'3", spoke on three stages and sang on four. He finished his last watercolor commission the Thursday before the Saturday morning he died in my arms. Wow. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about Dave's career too, because he was a prolific artist and you, know, you have, I think it's like over 800 paintings. I do. So of his and they're I mean I've seen a lot of them they're incredible they are incredible I mean he was a, a, a spectacular artist and I as a result I have a lot of amazing zoom backgrounds <laughs> right one of which you can see behind me here so one of the issues was that I am in my work a leader in my own right to mm -hmm. speak to your tribe and your group and there was a, a real danger that his legacy of work would eat mine right and he's dead and i'm not dead that took a while to figure out that was challenging but it became a question of what do we care about for the two of us between now and whenever you go right what are we fighting for who are we spending time with what activities are we doing and really cutting out a lot of the obligatory stuff well i'm doing this because i should Right. Do this. And in the face of a circumstance like that, a lot of the shoulds get a lot less important. So then he died on four breaths. I was a widow. Mm -hmm. And I didn't actually know what a widow was, except that I was swamped in grief. There were days when I would literally cry for eight hours. Just cry and barely functional. And I really felt like I was broken. Wasn't sure when I would ever come out of it. Like where was the horizon where this would not be my real life? At a certain point, I hit kind of a turning point moment mm -hmm. where I realized that I was legitimately devastated and I was not broken. 
What was that realization like for you? Because that's huge. It was huge. I have never been a fan of the poor me way of going into life. <laughs> yeah. Knowing you for several years, that would be very accurate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so at a certain point, I got sort of sick of my own poor me and other people poor meing me. Right. But when I looked out at the resources that I could find for someone who was a widow, what I saw was a lot of how do you declutter? How do you take care of the finances? That kind of stuff. There's tons of resources for that. But a lot of the writing and a lot of the speaking about this emotional roller coaster that I was on, fear, mm -hmm. grief, anger, and shame, was after the fact. So nobody was willing to talk that I could find from inside the raw. Right. And so I thought, well, if I'm here, there have to be other people also lacking resources from this spot. And if we look at the world right now, and this is why what I learned is so relevant. If we look at the world right now, we are all upended by so many things. Mm -hmm. There's so many options to be in upset about right now. It's almost overwhelming because if it's not one thing, then it's six things over here. And, and so the question for me became, in the face of this real life, I am not sure when I will ever get out of this. Right. I can't see a horizon. Um, what I had to do was I had to find a way to tap back into my own innate mm -hmm. resilience and to literally build ground under my feet because the world in that moment was not providing it. So what were some of the steps that you did or took? The first thing that I did was I looked at the life that I had, which had contracted. So I was seeing less people. I was doing less activities. Mm -hmm. I was, I had shrunk my own life in the face of my grief. And I realized that that was not something that I wanted for my life for the long term. So I began looking at the places where I could push out on the contraction that I had created for myself. I'm a huge fan of celebrating small steps because a small step is still a step. And every step, if it's sideways, if it's backwards, if it's forward, gives you a different perspective. And then you can take different actions from there. Right. I think that's so important to recognize because I think default is it's got to be gigantic to recognize. And then really it's that baby step, baby step, baby step that creates the huge momentum and the ability to really move forward. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think we have to recognize that energetically we have more capacity and less capacity day by day. Mm -hmm. and it kind of depends on how you are. So it's super important to be able to move forward from where you are that day. Right. And so one of my first pushing outs was I realized I had to figure out a way to get back to work. Now, I was a consultant, couldn't connect with people. They were just overwhelming to me. I was a medical editor and proofreader who had the attention span of a fruit fly and memory gaps. So I couldn't do that. Right. So there was nothing I was qualified for that I could do. So the first thing that I did to start pushing out on my own boundaries was I took a job in a Halloween pop-up shop four hours a day, hanging costumes on racks. 
because mm-hmm. I knew I could do that. And that was the first thing. And then I kept pushing out. Okay, well, I'm connecting with people there. I'm not managing them, but I'm increasing my capacity. Right. And the point was not to get to the end because first of all, I couldn't see the end. And second of all, I was not going to be hanging hangers on racks for the rest of my life. Right. But I needed to expand what I could do. I needed to get so I could work eight hours without being exhausted, where I could reconnect with people so so I could start consulting again. At that point, here you were, you were consulting, you're working with really high level people, you were speaking on huge stages, you were singing cabaret, and the next step is working at a pop-up Halloween store. Was there any point where you were like, I can't believe I'm in this spot and regretting not being able to seamlessly go back into what you had been doing? Well, see, that is, in fact, the crippling thing, Mm -hmm. that shame of not being able to just bounce right back. Mm -hmm. The fact of the matter is that we don't. We can't bounce right back. Right. It's impossible. And also the the other factor is that we're not the same person. So I'm not the same person I was as a wife with the same guy for 25 years. Right. I'm a widow. That's a different person. And so I had to, so sort of the first piece was re-engage, start pushing out, building for myself a bigger life. The second was reinvent, figure out who I was. Just as Dave was dying, we were looking at what our priorities were facing this real life end. After he died, it was reassessing, taking the opportunity, because disruption is also an opportunity, to look at the life I had been leading, the trajectory I was on, and decide if that was where I wanted to go. And I took a tack in my business and became Bad Widow. Bad Widow was about disrupting the assumptions that didn't work for anybody. They didn't work for the people who had suffered a transition or loss, and they did not work for the people who wanted to support them. Mm -hmm. And so there needed to be a shift and a pivot and a re-education to change that. And I decided that I was that leader just because I was. I mean, my understanding too, from some of our previous conversations is that you felt like people were expecting you to be quiet and mourn forever and really stop your life. And while your life did shift and change with the grief, that wasn't the place that you were staying. So in in almost a rebelliousness of really reinventing yourself, you got flack and people, you know, criticized you. I did. I did. I mean, I was sort of meant to behave in a particular way, be a little quiet, grieve, be broken. In particular, people, overall people love to give advice, right? I mean, if you say, this happened to me, well, you could do this, you could do that. That happens all the time. Right. It happens even more after a transitional loss. So you lost your husband. About four months after I lost Dave, this woman called up and said, I had a dream and Dave was in it and he tells, he told me to tell you that it's time to start dating again. In most cases, it's, it's really good hearted. People 
want to help you and they want mm -hmm. to give you support. The problem is that they're giving you the support that they would want if they were in your shoes and they're not. What I started to do was I started to see that one of my superpowers in this reinvent phase was to get really, really clear about my priorities and what I actually needed. When someone wanted to do something for me, I would have already thought through those things that I actually needed, not what they thought I needed right. to ask for them. The superpower behind this was that I found out that if they could win, if they could deliver what I needed, they would do it about 80% of the time. Mm -hmm. Everyone likes to be a hero. Right. And believe me, no one wants to get it wrong with a widow. What I'm hearing too is like you really owning your ability to ask for help and not just accept what other people wanted to give you. But I mean, that, that transitions into so many other places particularly for women where, you know, asking, insisting, demanding about what works for you and being okay with that, even when it's out of the box is really crucial to you living your life in, on your terms. It was really hard because I needed so much support. I needed mm -hmm. emotional, financial, spiritual, physical, everything. I needed everything. And I had one exchange with someone who I was very close to mm -hmm. and they said, we will not help you unless you do this, 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 and this. And they were stop doing what you're passionate about. Give up this yeah. consulting nonsense, move out of your apartment, which, you know, when I was barely able to move out of my bed, and had just closed down my husband's 500 square foot studio with its eight bookshelves and thousand paintings was inconceivable to me. And in the end, it would have been really helpful, but I didn't like the terms. So I said, thank you, but no, thank you. Right. Well, and those terms were coming from what they felt was safe and, and, and truly wanting to help you, but um, according to what works for them and not you. There was not in any yes or no, any meanness or malice. So mm -hmm. I want to be really clear about that. In yeah. every instance, people really wanted to help me, but it came down to what could I live with? Because at the end, you can listen to all the advice, but if you take it, you need to be able to live with the consequences of taking it. Mm -hmm. And I, right. I just couldn't. Right. Because you're compromising. Exactly. And doing what they wanted me to do would have felt like going backwards. Now, mm -hmm. I didn't know in that moment how I would get back to consulting again, right? speaking again. I didn't know how I was going to do that. Mm -hmm. But I trusted that I was innately resilient, that I had the capacity to